Ah, yes, live from Harry's Lair. It is MazeCast, Episode 2, courtesy of TheBrandedSports.com. And uh, had a, a decent reception to Episode 1. We're going to hope to make it a much better in this one because I understand now that we are live and good to go on iTunes. So that's very exciting. Like, to me, you know, being new to this podcast game, but something that I, I learned early on when just observing others that do podcasts, you're not really a podcast unless you're available on iTunes. And uh, people say to me, oh, Harry, not everybody has an iPhone. You know, where else can you get it? Well, you can get it on SoundCloud. You download the SoundCloud app, and you can go to the Branded Sports website, thebrandedsports.com, and it's available there via SoundCloud. And I imagine we're going to have this thing, if not already, up on like Spotify or Stitcher, which are podcast apps that you can utilize uh, with non-iPhone phones. So I think we're good to go now. So uh, appreciate the guys for for getting this up and ready to go. We're going to hit on a lot of stuff today, starting with the football. We'll have an obligatory PGA Tour take. Uh, Apparently there's a cheap fuck on the PGA Tour, and we got to address that. A little college sports and a little Sixers stuff too, as well as uh, some political correctness. Uh, running amok, and you know that's going to be a, a regular theme here on the Maze Cast. So let's get right to it. The football, uh, straight up, because I am transparent when it comes to my plays. I was one and three last weekend. Not good. As soon as I saw later in the week that everybody seemed to be piling on the Chargers, I started to get a little worried, and then I started thinking about, oh, it's the third straight road game. They're going west coast to east coast. You know, two straight times, Baltimore and then New England. And that was after having played in the altitude in Denver the week before on week 17. And I started to really bemoan that. And sure enough, the Chargers did not show up. But we're going to start off with the Colts at the Chiefs. We go in order here on the Maze cast. And I was stunned. I was watching this game, the start of this game, out at Parks Casino in their fabulous new sports book. And I was stunned to see how the Chiefs' defense stood stout. What a tremendous performance out of them. And uh, Vinatieri's missing kicks. You started, you know, it played into that big home field advantage that they have out there in Arrowhead, even though they don't have a good playoff record at Arrowhead, which is crazy. That's beyond me. But at least during the regular season, that is a really big home field advantage, especially when you get the weather. You got a dome team coming into a a blustery, snow-filled Arrowhead Stadium. Things were pointing towards the Chiefs there. And there was a common theme in most of these games, three out of the four, and you could really make a case for four out of the four. And the theme was, is that the team that ran significantly more plays and had a significant advantage in the time of possession won the football game. But to me, this also came down to, and the reason why Indianapolis couldn't control the ball is they were 0 for 9 on third down. I mean, you're not going to win a playoff game going 0 for 9 on third down on the road. I don't care who you're playing. Uh, But there was 40 minutes of possession for Big Red and his Chiefs compared to 20 for the Colts. Now, that is significant. You hold the ball, keep it away from Andrew Luck. Their running attack really wasn't able to get going. And a big win for Andy Reid and the Chiefs. And now they go to the AFC Championship game. The Dallas Cowboys-Rams game on Saturday night was somewhat of a stunner for me, too. Because this Rams defense absolutely stuffed Ezekiel Elliott. And the Rams went on to emasculate the Dallas Cowboys defense, which I was just lauding the week before 
for their fantastic run defense against Seattle, a team that likes to run the football a lot. Well, the Rams took a two-back approach against the Cowboys and fat C.J. Anderson. You know, they pulled him out of an old country buffet somewhere in the United States, threw on the, the blue and gold Rams uniform, you know, that iconic helmet, and put him in a backfield, and he was like freaking Jerome Bettis. It was unbelievable. He had two 100-plus yard running backs, of course with Gurley, in addition to C.J. Anderson. They combined with some others for 273 yards rushing and three rushing touchdowns. That is just amazing. You talk about taking a team's balls. That does it. There is nothing more gut-punching than running the football right down a team's defensive throat. I mean, it's just, they, they, those teams, they're on the sideline muttering like, do you fucking believe this? Holy shit. And it, it just reverberates through the sideline. The defense, once they do get off the field, usually after giving up a touchdown in this case, they're sitting around on the bench just like looking at one another like, what the hell's going on? So that, that's exactly what happened with the Rams over the Cowboys. And then the Cowboys were also, you talk about the third down woes of the Colts. How about one for 10 for the Cowboys on third down? So uh, young, you know, the Ryan Seacrest lookalike, McVeigh, came up with a great plan. You know, he calls those plays and he waits for, he's sort of like a college offense where he waits until the very last couple of seconds to tell Goff what to do. Uh, you know, McVeigh's calling the game from the sideline. They have up until, I believe, 15 seconds when that headphone, that headset, uh, shuts off in Goff's helmet. And he'll look at, you know, what Dallas is doing, you know, give the play, boom, the headset goes off. Maybe they change it from there on. I don't know. But most times not, I would imagine. And uh, that's exactly what happened. The Cowboys just were emasculated by the Rams. So we'll see what the Rams have this week in New Orleans as they now go on the road. Now, the, the first game, I touched on this a little bit, the Chargers at New England. I was doing a pregame show, countdown to kickoff show, on 97.3 ESPN down in South Jersey with my boy Aton Shander. So we were doing the show while the game was going on. I had one eye on the game, one eye on the show, and it didn't take long for this game to be over. The Patriots drove right down the field. They got the benefit of a somewhat questionable uh, pass interference call in the end zone on a third down where the Chargers had presumably gotten off the field and forced a field goal attempt. The uh, Patriots get the call, and they score, I believe, on the next play. One or two plays later, they scored a touchdown. Boom, up 7 nothing. Then I was impressed, and it gave me hope that the Chargers took the ball, drove right down the field, a beautiful throw from Rivers to Keenan Allen for a touchdown, 7-7. I'm like, we got a ball game. You know, because if the Chargers were going to turtle up You'd think it would happen right after they just got stuffed for a 7 nothing score and then maybe, you know, went three and out on their next drive. That didn't happen, so I thought we'd have a football game. Boy, was I wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. The Patriots just ran the football. Sony Michelle was fantastic, 129 yards, three touchdowns. Edelman, every time I looked up, Edelman is wide open beyond the linebackers and in front of the safeties, catching a ball wide open and then running for another, you know, 8, 10, 12 yards. The, the Chargers had no interest in tackling anybody. I guess it was a little too cold for them. James White caught 15 balls from Brady. In that game, 15 receptions for 97 yards. You're going to say, well, Harry, that's, that's not a lot per catch. I get it. But a couple of those were backbreaking little screens and dump offs and stuff that New England, they just dink and dunk it to death. And then they can run the football like they did with uh, Sony Michelle. 
It was a recipe for disaster. And then you had, this, the game was 28-7, getting towards halftime. And the Chargers actually hold the Patriots' offense and force a punt from pretty deep in the Patriots' end. So you're like, Chargers can get pretty good field position here. Maybe if they can put up seven before half, 28-14, we have a football game. The punt returner, King, who's also a defensive back, he's actually a good kick returner, fumbles the punt. He didn't even really catch it. He just kind of, I don't know if the wind blew it off his path that he had it coming in on or what, but he muffs this punt, and New England, of course, as they do, jumps on it just before the player and the ball goes out of bounds. Patriots ball, they drive right down, score another touchdown, game over. 35-7, they go on to blow out the Chargers. So they also had 38 minutes in time of possession compared to 22 for the Chargers. Hard to win that way. Brady has a ball for 38 minutes. You know, uh, the Rams had the ball for 36 minutes compared to 24 for Dallas. Kansas City, even more egregious, 40 minutes to 20 minutes. You're noticing a theme here. Teams running the football with one, sometimes two backs, maintaining possession, converting third downs, scoring touchdowns instead of field goals. It's really not that hard of a recipe. Football is pretty simple. I know a lot of brainiac coaches try to make it sound like it's fucking trigonometry three, but there's there's some basic premises to the game that when they come through, you're going to win. Now we get to the Eagles game. And I'll tell you what, this game couldn't have started out better for the Eagles. This is actually the only game I won on the whole weekend. I had the Eagles plus the eight. And they go down and score right away. Uh, You get Foles finding Jordan Matthews. He threw him open over the defense. He jogs into the end zone for an easy touchdown. And a crazed building in the Superdome with all those nutty Saints fans and all their little outfits were like, whoa. Nick Foles is here. And I'm thinking, wow, what a start for the birds. Then they go and they get another touchdown. You're up 14-0 early on in that game. And I'm telling you, I'm thinking, boy, this this might be a reverse blowout to the 48-7. Maybe all this uh, running up the score motivation might be working here because the Saints offense couldn't have looked more out of sync in their first couple of possessions. So the Eagles are driving again for what could have been maybe a 17-0 lead or at best a 21-0 lead. And Nick Foles has Ertz on the left side and underthrows him, giving up an interception. Totally changed the game. Totally gave the Saints some life. Their defense makes a play. Breeze starts converting. And down, down the field they go. The Saints score. And the game changed on a dime with that interception. So that, that's the way I looked at that. And then you had the Saints in that drive having to convert on a fake punt, mind you. Now, the ball was right near midfield, which is a perfect place to run a fake punt. It was like a fourth and one, one and a half, whatever it was. It was fourth and short, very short, I forget. I'm thinking, this is a lock fake punt. They're down 14 nothing. They have to score. They have to at least get three points on the board to stem this eagle tide here. And I was kind of amazed at how easily they got it. You know, with the with the snap to the upback, who's the who's the uh, backup quarterback? He's a guy who ran the foot. He runs the football every time he's in the game, practically. Uh, the kid from BYU, 
And he runs and gets the first down, which then again reignites the building. Saints score, changed the game when it was 14-10 at half. You had a bad feeling about it if you're an Eagle fan. I know I did. But it still comes down to the Eagles driving. And Foles delivers a ball, a perfectly catchable ball, that goes right through the hands of Alshon Jeffrey. How he did not catch this football, I don't know. And I know he took it on himself. Good for him. Uh, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to do that, but that shows you what kind of a pro he is. He knows he let his teammates down. He let the fan base down, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, I, I like to see that because the, the fan base came to his rescue too. Most of them did. I'm sure there were some that didn't, but that just goes to show you the difference between winning a Super Bowl in the previous year, no less, because if this was just regular, no ring Philly, the fan base would have come down hard and heavy on Alshon Jeffrey for not catching that football because as a pro receiver that is an easy catch. I don't know how it happened. Did he get his did he get uh, you know the dome lights or something? I don't know. But you got to make that catch. Uh you know there were some great signs though in that game. You talk about, you know, what this team has accomplished this year with with some of the injuries that they've had again. They've had back-to-back years with big-time injuries to to key personnel. You know, they they developed this kid Cravon LeBlanc. I mean, they developed him from week 11 on where he was a horrendous. And now all of a sudden he looks like a cornerback that might be, uh, you know, part of your rotation going forward. So I mean, you know, it, that was amazing. Just, you know, just some of the the effort that you saw out of the Eagles was really good. And I I don't mean to make, you know, moral victories. I'm not that kind of guy, but I did admire the way they stood up because, you know, the Saints are the favorites to go win the Super Bowl. They were at home with a week off and you get this effort out of the Eagles with some backup players. I was really kind of proud of them. I really was. And I know that it sounds kind of weak, but I was, you know, Peyton and Breeze are six and zero in playoff games in the Superdome now. So that is not a place where you go and win. We'll see what the Rams do. The decibel level apparently clipped the meter at 130 during that game. It was deafening from uh, talking to some of the people that were down there in the building. So that is a really, really tough place to play. We knew that going in. Good effort out of the Eagles. I mean, giving up a bunch of third downs to Michael Thomas. I know you know, some of the analysts uh, gave uh, Jim Schwartz flack for, the, for his defense uh, you know, hey, okay, you can't give up a third and sixteen. That, that you know, that's a that's a punch to the nuts. I get it. They they converted a couple other third and longs. They, that one drive in the third quarter, they they just seem to have the ball the entire quarter. Yes, the defense needs to get off the field there. But if you're going to sit here and tell me that the Eagles are going to hold Drew Brees, Sean Payton, and that offense in their building to twenty points, I'm taking that seven days a week. 52 weeks a year. All the cliches you want to throw at it. You're holding them to 20. I'm thinking my team's going to win the football game. Didn't happen. So I can't kill Schwartz for that, but I I know some were. So now we have New England at Kansas City. Kansas City's a three-point favorite. 57 over under, right around 57 for both of these games. And apparently the weather is going to be somewhat sunny, but 15 degrees. I don't know how sunny it can be when it's 15 degrees. That is fucking cold. There's no way you'd get my ass in that stadium unless I'm in a heated suite. But that's just me. The Rams at New Orleans. Weather obviously not a factor here. Rams coming in as a a three-and-a-half-point underdog. 
And this line opened at three, bumped up to New Orleans three and a half. So you know some sharp money jumped in there on the Saints. Both of these matchups are repeats from the season. They were great games, especially if you like a lot of points. New England beat Kansas City. They were both in the 40s. And uh, the the Saints uh, took apart the Rams in a high-scoring affair, too. So I'm really uh, excited about these matchups. Obviously, would rather have the Eagles' season continue on. But there is some solace for the Mays cast. Because I put in a ticket. I'm going to piss some people off now. I put in a ticket in July, August. I forget when it was. I rolled into the ocean uh, sports book when it was first up and running during the summer. And I put in a ticket on the Saints and got them winning Super Bowl at 17 to 1. I think they're down around 5, 6 to 1 somewhere right now. But I got that at 17 to 1. Uh, so, you know, there is something. Obviously, you know who I'm rooting for now that they've advanced. I'm taking the Saints, and I got to go with the Patriots. Uh, you know, for some reason, this team just won't die. I thought this was the year. They looked somewhat vulnerable to me. And I learned a lesson on Sunday because they always beat the Chargers. Phillip Rivers will never get past Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady's going to play until Phillip Rivers retires so he can add to his resume that he just prevented Phillip Rivers from ever getting to a Super Bowl. But whatever it is, the Patriots don't seem to die. I'll go with the Patriots, and I'll go with uh, the Saints. The record on the playoffs right now is 4-3-1. and 3-0-1 the first week, 1-3 and this past week. Uh, we'll see how I do. And I wish everybody luck going forward with the championship weekend. I thought Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis did a great job calling the game. I love those guys. Used to have both of them on my radio shows uh, back in the day on The Fanatic. They're great guys. Davis sometimes gets criticized for talking too much. I didn't think he did that on Sunday. I don't criticize him because I enjoy his analysis. He can get a little uh, verbose at times, but Sunday I thought he dialed it back and was pretty concise in his evaluation of the game. So I thought those guys did great. All right, moving on to a little Sixers stuff and a little self-promotion here because that's what we do here on the Maze Cast. I've been working now for the last uh, two weeks, just started a relationship with FanCred which is an app that you can download. You can also follow them on Twitter, at FanCred. They're on Instagram. It's the FanCred app. And what this does is this allows you to come on a broadcast. It's like a, uh, it's a webcast, essentially, where me and Aton Shander are both on evaluating the game where we come on just before the fourth quarter starts. And it's called Fourth Quarter Live. Mikey Miss and Anthony Gargano have been doing this for the Eagles games this entire season. They've been doing a great job. And now we've gotten the opportunity to do the Sixers games. And we've just done it twice. We had a dress rehearsal a week or so ago. And the other night we did it uh, for the Timberwolves games. Both games that we've gotten have been blowouts. So it is kind of interesting, you know, what you end up talking about in a 20, 30-point blowout in the NBA in the fourth quarter. Now you got to feel for some of these announcers, especially a guy like Tom McGinnis, who does the game by himself. you got a 30-point blowout and 10, 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter you got to get creative. But we have a lot of fun. Uh, Download the app. You can just check it out and watch us, or you can actually come on live with us, and actually your your face will be up there on the screen with us. Uh, We actually had uh, a guy come on with us last night. A lot of people don't want to show their face. I get it. 
I don't like really having to show my face at this point in my life. But it is a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to expand that going forward. So check that out, fan cred. Uh, Regarding the Sixers, you know, easy win last night. You know, Butler started out the game passive, ended up uh, banging a bunch of threes. Uh, Embiid was fantastic. You know, they got some good play out of their bench. You know, Simmons ends up one assist shy of a triple-double. But they got a chance to pull those starters out for the majority of the fourth quarter. So I think that that's a good thing. Whenever they can do that in this season, because they now have a 12-game stretch coming up here over the next 25, 26 days, that's going to be pretty challenging, starting off uh, at Indiana. And, uh, you know, they, they play Golden State in there. They play the Lakers. They play Oklahoma City. They play Houston, San Antonio, uh, Denver, I believe, twice. So a pretty tough stretch coming up here for the Sixers leading into the All-Star break. So it was good that they could get some rest. As far as this whole Butler situation, I think people are making more of it. People want something to happen. They want to look at him sitting on the sidelines, and he's rolling his eyes. That's going to get magnified and all this. I don't think this is an issue. When it becomes an issue, I'll address it. But I love Jimmy Butler, and I like him on this team. Landry Shamit. I told people about this guy when they drafted him that this could be sort of a uh, an unsung guy, basically that went to a, a mid-major college, and a lot of people might not know about, but he can flat out shoot it. And if he could stand up to the physicality of the game, because he's kind of a slight kid as far as his build goes, early on, if you can withstand that, I think you're going to like this player. And I think we're seeing that play out right now. He's been a nice bench player coming in and giving you some uh, some action uh, from the three-point line off the bench. So I like what I'm seeing there. But what happened last week can't happen. They cannot lose to teams like Atlanta at home, regardless of whether Embiid's in the game or not. You can't lose to Atlanta, especially at home. That just cannot happen. All right, a little uh, college take here. Uh, big news from the week. We talked about the championship game on episode one. So episode two, Kyler Murray, the quarterback from Oklahoma, who was drafted ninth overall in the first round by the Oakland Athletics in baseball. He was given uh, close to $5 million in a signing bonus, has now decided to try his wares in the NFL with the NFL draft. Good for him. God, what life would be like to have this much talent where you can not only be a stud in one major sport, but you can also say, hey, you know what? I won this Heisman Trophy, and uh, Baker Mayfield uh, you know, is, is showing that he can succeed at uh, 5'11 and a half or whatever he measures out to be. You know, Drew Brees is going to the Hall of Fame at six feet. Uh, Russell Wilson barely makes it to 5'11", and he's won a Super Bowl, and he could be going to the Hall of Fame before it's all said and done. Who knows? So I'm going to try my wares in the NFL, all 5'10 of me. Now, that's the first thing I'm interested in. Does he measure up to 5'10 at the Combine? Because they're going to measure everything at the Combine, and we're going to know, you know, hand size, the whole thing, whether he's 5'10". And, you know, I still think somebody's probably going to take a shot at this kid early in the draft. Some people are saying first round. Others are saying mid-round. So whatever it is, God bless him. Good for him. Personally, you know, he loves football. And I guess if you love football that much, as I do, I'd probably give it a shot too. You know, what do you got to lose? You know, you can also always go back, I guess, and play baseball. You know, baseball, you probably have an 18-year career if you can hit major league pitching 
and you know maybe not sustain any big serious injuries football we all know what the risks are there but god bless him and i look forward to seeing what uh, what transpires here at the combine and in the draft because he is an intriguing talent uh from oklahoma uh nfl coaching carousel a lot of things happened between episode one and episode two i think we had kingsbury already at arizona and i tell you what kingsbury is now becoming one of my heroes I picked some strange heroes based on certain little little things that I admire. Kingsbury had a mediocre at best coaching career at Texas Tech. I think he had one season where he won eight games. He was under 500 a couple of years. Uh, he never played in a, in a Big 12 championship game. Uh, he wasn't good necessarily in bowl games. And he got fired. You get fired in Lubbock. Sometimes it's tough to rebuild your career right away. Well, he goes out and gets a job with USC as their offensive coordinator. And you're thinking Cliff Kingsbury and his his, uh, Hollywood looks, coaching on the sidelines in Los Angeles, this could be a good thing. He turns that into, he didn't even coach one day there. In a couple weeks, he's being interviewed or being sought after by NFL teams. USC decides to block him, which I thought was a dumb move. They eventually lift the block. He talks to some teams, and within days, he's the Arizona Cardinals' head football coach in the NFL. Not offensive coordinator, head coach of a franchise. And oh, by the way, taking it back to Kyler Murray, he was on record as saying if he was in the NFL, he would take Kyler Murray in the first round. So there's that bit of intrigue. But then I find out, as I do more digging into Cliff Kingsbury, that he's dating Holly Saunders. And anybody who followed golf knows Holly Saunders from the Golf Channel. She then went on, and I still believe works at Fox. She used to, uh, I believe, was married to uh, Eric Casilius, I believe. Uh, that is, or maybe not married, maybe just engaged. I don't know. Uh, when, I, when I found out that she was hooked up with Casilius, I, I, I put my head in my hands. But she is back on the beam, as they like to say, and she's with Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury, NFL head coach after being fired at Texas Tech within weeks, and Holly Saunders on top. Cliff Kingsbury is my hero. All right, we got to get to this. Um, uh, well, actually, we'll keep going with the NFL coaching carousel because there was uh, one interview, or actually not an interview, a press conference that just took the social media world by storm the other day, and everybody knows what I'm talking about, this Adam Gase introductory press conference with the Jets. I saw this on Twitter, some of the, uh, the video and the memes. It immediately turns into a meme. And I'll tell you, when, you're, when your football coach turns into a meme, you got issues. We saw that with uh, Nagy, with the Bears, with that look on his face. And I apologize for the, uh, the ringing. It's my computer that's hooked up to my goddamn text messaging. I got to turn that off. I apologize for the ring. It's not my phone. It's actually one of my uh, computers. I got multiple screens here in the, uh, the maze studio in the lair. So I apologize. Anyway, getting back to Gase. Gase looked like a crazy-eyed killer. And I can't believe I never noticed this before. He was always wearing a hat on the sidelines. Maybe that's why. I always kind of thought... Uh, he resembled 
Chad Pennington on the sideline. He kind of had a look similar to Chad Pennington. You take the hat off. He's, you know, he's got a little balding issue going on, which is no big deal. But you take that brim off of his forehead, and now all of a sudden you see a guy that looks like he's had about six Red Bulls. He looked like me down at the shore after too many Red Bull and vodkas. Like his eyes were just bugging out of his head. I, I don't know what that is. But don't I just have to think, like this guy has been, um, he's got a reputation for acing interviews. He's a really... He's one of these guys that comes in and just blows you away with with his um, with his scheme ideas, and he you know he'll take a look at the roster of the team that he's interviewing with, and he'll evaluate the talent, and he's boom boom boom. He just goes through it, and you're just like blown away, like wow. Adam Gase impressed me. Adam Gase impressed the hell out of us here uh, with the Jets. You know, is he sitting there in the chair with that look? Looking back at the uh, uh, you know the owner and the general manager and whoever else is you know is in on these interviews, if I'm seeing that I I can't even hear what he's saying. I'm just like staring at him, like this guy. He it was it was really bizarre. I don't know what's going on there, but that that took the internet by storm, and uh, <laughs> that's going to be something that we're going to watch play out here because now now I, now I, every time I see Adam Gase in the sideline, I'm going to be really dialing in on those eyes. Adam Gase's eyes. But uh, and then they also hired Greg Williams, who uh, did a nice job with Cleveland, especially in the interim uh, defensive coordinator. But we all remember him from Bounty Gate. So they got the Bounty Boy and the crazy-eyed killer on the sideline with the Jets. Could be interesting. Of course, Bruce Arians with Tampa. We talked about that last week. Vic Fangio in Denver. Eh. You know, there was some talk about Kubiak coming back and being like a the offensive guy with Fangio, who's a defensive guy. Kubiak says no. He eventually is now consulting in some role with the Minnesota Vikings, who can't seem to maintain offensive coordinators, although they did bring back Stefanski, who uh, took over for Filippo. if you're keeping track at home. Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland. This looks like a Cleveland football coach. I mean, if you could go to central casting, and say, give me the Cleveland Browns football coach. They're going to they're gonna go through the books of all the uh, candidates, all the actors, and they're going to say, this is your guy, Freddie Kitchens, former quarterback at Alabama back in the day. And he hires Todd Munkin from Tampa to be the offensive coordinator. They bring in Wilkes, who got fired after one year as the head coach in Arizona, as the defensive coordinator. So they're putting together a staff there. That'll be interesting. Cincinnati looks like if uh, they're, they're going to be hiring this quarterback coach from the Rams. It's basically if you ever brushed shoulders in an elevator with Sean McVay, you're getting an interview and possibly a job in the NFL right now. That just seems to be what everybody's doing. It's funny how it's, it's all – you talk about a copycat league. Has there ever been you know, more of it in the coaching hires than this year where it's all – everybody's trying to get you know, their version of McVay, uh, you know, the, 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 the brainchild, the guy in his 30s, the young guy that's got the, the great offense, the flashy offense to better utilize the uh, franchise quarterback. So they're going with uh, the quarterback's coach from, from L.A. Of course, L.A. is still playing, so they, it's not official yet. Miami, I think they're going to be might be going after a defensive guy from New England. Who knows? Matt LaFleur is another one of these offensive guys. Uh, goes from Tennessee to Green Bay. He's the head coach, and he's got Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit on the coaching carousel. 
if you're keeping track. Now I got to get to the PGA Tour. Uh, it's an uninteresting tournament. I told you I don't get involved. We're really dialing in on these tournaments until we get to Torrey Pines, which is coming up in another week, uh, week and a half. But Matt Kuchar, who I like, uh, is one of the, the more personable guys. He's the biggest ball breaker, apparently, on tour. Got a good sense of humor. He got a nice smile. He's got a great on-course demeanor. I've said in the past to many people that I wish I could buy. You know, I wish I could go to, uh, to the pro shop at the 1912 Club and buy Matt Kuchar's golf course demeanor, you know, and just sort of download it because... Uh, his, I just love it. I wish I could play like, like, not play like that, but I wish I could behave like that uh, when things are going bad. But anyway, he wins at Wiley Country Club. It's his second win of the year, by the way. Of course, you know, uh, they do this wraparound schedule. So he's already had two wins, and that brought up the first win. There was evidently a, a tweet by a former PGA Tour player, Tom Gillis. I barely heard of him. But he outed Kuchar allegedly for cheaping, uh, you know, stiffing, essentially, cheaping is not even a word, but essentially stiffing a local caddy that he used down in Mayacoba, Mexico, where he eventually won the Mayacoba Golf Classic, uh, which paid him close to $1.3 million. The story goes, Gillis says that he gave the caddy, a local caddy, not his normal caddy. His normal caddy couldn't make the trip, had a previous engagement or something. So he picked up a local guy and said that there was a prearranged deal. He ends up winning the tournament and apparently allegedly gave this local caddy $3,000. Three grand on a $1.3 million prize. Now, I've talked to some other people that, uh, you know, are in and around the tour and were in the tour, and they seem to believe that this is true. If this is true, I, I don't know that he gave him three grand, but I can guarantee you he didn't give him the customary eight to ten percent, which would have netted this guy close to hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which could have been life changing for this dude. I don't know the guy, but I you know anybody somebody comes around and you know I, I loop for a guy for four days and he wins a tournament and I win one hundred and thirty grand, it's going to change my life. Imagine what it could have done for this guy. And when you start thinking about it, well. Who's to say what he should give the guy? That's his business. He had a prearranged deal. Think about this, folks. Matt Kuchar has earned over $46 million in his career. Good for him. He's got a great life. He lives down in like Sea Island, Georgia. It's beautiful. And he's got a pampered style and he's earned it. But that doesn't mean you can go stiffing a guy who's out there humping for you. And give him three grand, three grand, ten grand. I don't care what it was. If it wasn't north of seventy-five to a hundred thousand or more, he stiffed him. Shame on you, Cooch. I like you, but that that pisses me off. All right, um, we're gonna get to some other stuff here. Obviously, branded sports, uh, the website. You got to be following that. You got to be checking in there every day. Thebrandedsports.com. Follow him on Twitter at. Branded underscore sports. They're also on Instagram, too. And I caught an interesting uh, uh, piece here uh, from Branded Rue, who writes some of the, the interesting, more interesting stuff that catches my eye. And I just wanted to throw this out there. The title of the piece 
on thebrandedsports.com is women are growing body hair for January. Wait, what? So I go to this, uh, this article. And, of course, we all know about Movember for guys where uh, guys will let their facial hair grow uh, you know, to, to cause awareness to, for men's health issues and so forth. Uh, I never really took pl- part in that in November, but I actually, it's fun. It's ironic. I have a beard now that I've let grow for the last couple of weeks, uh, just trying to see, you know, how far I can push it before my wife gets pissed off. Uh, we haven't gotten there yet, but I never did it for November. But now apparently ladies have started a January. J-A-N-U-H-A-I-R-Y, Janu-Harry, not Janu-Harry, Janu-Harry, which is a reason to skip shaving and grow their body hair with pride. Now, I go on to the, to the uh, for the piece here. Laura Jackson, a drama student at the University of Exeter over in the UK, started the movement after growing her own body hair for a performance and noticing her own reaction to it. Quote, After a few weeks of getting used to it, I started to like my natural hair, she posted to Instagram. Quote, though I felt liberated and more confident in myself, some people around me didn't understand why I didn't shave and didn't agree with it. End quote. All right. I don't know how growing your pit hair makes you feel more liberated or more confident in the world. I don't know that because I actually get rid of mine. I think it's kind of nasty, you know. Guy's wearing like a, uh, maybe he's the tank top shirt or he's at the pool or whatever, a public pool, lifts up his arms and there's like a, you know, there's like a dead animal under there. I don't, you know, that, that doesn't appeal to me personally as a guy. So I actually kind of do the manscaping thing with that. Now I'm, I'm all for a full bush on a woman. Okay. I grew up in the seventies. I, you know, that, that's, that's not a deal breaker in the least for me. You start growing armpit hair. The deal's over. That's where I draw the line. Okay, so you can have your January. I don't know how much this is going to catch on here. Um, maybe that's toxic masculinity uh, rearing its ugly head for me. That's another thing that that uh, hit this week with the whole uh, razor blade commercial. I'm not even going to name the company that did it because I've watched this several times, and I get the message. I understand we all need to be better people, and uh, you know, men need to... You know, it's no longer the 1950s. I get it. So the, the, the whole premise and the whole uh, idea of the campaign is good. But then when you start watching some of the commercial, like, you know, here's a guy, you know, he just said, smile, sweetie. They're at a backyard picnic or party or something. And some of the other dude intervenes like that is just so demeaning and rude to just call this girl sweetie. Lighten up, will you please? And then there's another scene shortly after that where a very attractive young lady is walking down a sidewalk, <clears throat> excuse me, and a guy is standing sort of in a doorway of an of a establishment, and he sees her walking, and he's like, wow. You can see he's like, wow, that girl's hot. He starts to make a move to walk after her, presumably to go up and uh, introduce himself. Maybe they can go grab a coffee. Well, his buddy is standing in the doorway with him and doesn't allow him to take his second step, steps in front of him with, whoa, boy, not cool. Not cool. How are you supposed to meet people? What, does everything happen over the internet? 
This is unbelievable. I mean, I, again, the message is, is the overall message is good, but they ruin it with the way they go about telling you the story, in my view. So there's my toxic masculinity uh, rant for the day. I will not mention the company because harrys.com is where you should be getting your razors. All right. I've been a Harry's guy for years. No, they didn't name the company after me, but I'd like to think that sometimes they do because they have a great product. So it's another reason to just order from harrys.com. All right. uh, Some other things that happened here this week. I saw that there was, uh, there's a yacht war going on in the NFC East. Dan Snyder purchased a yacht a few weeks ago, a 220-foot super yacht. Of course, Dan Snyder owns the Redskins, and he has driven that once-proud, tremendous franchise into the center of the earth. But he still is beyond loaded and uh, had $70 million laying around in his drawer and decided to buy a super yacht, 224 feet. It's registered in the Cayman Islands. You can look this up on, online and get a picture of it. It's got a library. What do you need a fucking library on a yacht for, number one? Uh, it has a gym, which is nice. It has six staterooms that accommodate 16 people, and that doesn't even count for the crew that it can house, a crew of up to 18. How about that? Your, uh, your, your football team absolutely stinks out loud. Nobody wants to come to your stadium anymore, but you're trying to bilk uh, the local people out of a new, you know, more money for you to build a new stadium so you can attract you know, more uh, sweet revenue and what you know, story goes on and on and on. And he's out there buying a yacht. Screw Dan Snyder. Because Jera just went and said, I'll see your yacht and I'll raise you my bravo. His yacht is called Bravo, and it's 357 feet long. Folks, you got to get a, a look at this thing. This looks like a, like a sleek naval vessel. This thing is badass. And he paid $250 million for it. $250 million out of his $6.8 billion that he has. This thing only takes 14 passengers and a crew of 20, and it has all that. It's got two helicopter pads, two different pads on it. it, has a garage, a big spa, a gym, and a beach club, among other things. Now, he spent $250 million on the yacht. Think about this, folks. Back in 1989, I remember it well, he bought the Cowboys for $150 million. So he just paid $100 million more for a yacht. He's 76 years old. How many trips is he going to be able to take on this thing? I guarantee you that he has a whole wall full of Johnny Walker Blue. Love Jared Jones. Keep doing you. Uh, there's our yacht wars in the NFC East. Jarrah beats up on Dan Snyder. There's some other interesting stories here. Uh, I saw where... Uh, Jason Duffner on the PGA Tour has a new sponsor, and it's called Dude Wipes. Dude Wipes. Now, these are essentially baby wipes marketed towards men. All right? I have to tell you, this is brilliant. I have been a fan and a user of the wipe. I don't even know what they're called. The Lima buys them. I stuff them in a, a uh, dispenser, plastic dispenser container, have them right there uh, you know, by the toilet. 
It's awesome. I advise it for everybody. I got uh, close up and personal uh, during the days when I'd go to um, gentlemen's clubs. All the entertainers had tons of baby wipes, and they used them for various purposes. I'm telling you, once you go, you're never going to go back. Dude wipes. We got to get that as a sponsor of the show. CEO Joe at Branded Sports needs to get on this right away. Dude wipes. Um, hashtag Duff Dude. So you check out Jason Duffner. He goes from rocking Vineyard Vines a few years ago, uh, the preppy clothing company, to Dude Wipes. Man, I, I can't believe that, that Skoll or Copenhagen hasn't put uh, their name on his, at least his, uh, his golf bag, for crying out loud. So there's another little PGA Tour story. I saw something interesting, too, regarding uh, Ronaldo, the uh, soccer rock star, European uh, soccer star, where Las Vegas police were searching for Ronaldo's DNA in relation to some uh, uh, case that may have involved sexual assault. Is it really that hard to find Ronaldo's DNA? I mean, it's got to be all over South Beach, Ibiza, over uh, off the coast of Spain, uh, Prague, Budapest, Vegas itself, Southern California, just to name a few places. Is it hard to find Ronaldo's DNA? These are the things that I ask myself. All right, so uh, that about wraps things up for the episode two of Maze Cast. Again, you got to be following everybody on Twitter here. Me, at Harry Mays, T-U, at Branded underscore sports for Branded Sports, at FanCred. Download that app, I'm telling you. Uh, also, uh, derailed the podcast that I do with Shander. Has now gone through 11 episodes. We just recorded episode 11 the other night. That's all available on iTunes. MazeCast is up on iTunes. We are rocking and rolling. Also, send me, because I haven't gotten ones that I really want to put on the show yet, so I'm a little disappointed in some What Would Harry Do's. I haven't gotten good ones yet. Hashtag WWHD. We used to do it on the radio show. You know it. You love it. Send me your What Would Harry Do questions and make them good. My email for this show is Harry Mays, M-A-Y-E-S, at thebrandedsports.com. Harry Mays at thebrandedsports.com. Send me some topic ideas, anything uh, you like or dislike about the, the podcast, all that sort of thing. Harry Mays at thebrandedsports.com, and uh, we'll keep rocking and rolling with that. So I, I uh, got to thank everybody here. Brian McLaughlin's going to be uh, engineering this program and putting it on iTunes and making it sound really, really good. So thanks to him, and we will talk at you next week, folks.